Hello there and welcome to Community Life. Here we talk with the community experts about their life journeys and how they came into the community world. Today we have a conversation with Steve Gargiulo, a person of action, a Mongolian rally participant, ex-owner of Jurassic Park Car, a former head of creative engagement in Johnson Johnson when he ran one of the first corporate TEDx events, TEDx JNJ, author of the book Surge, your guide to put any idea into action and founder at Cultivate. So, hello, Steve. Hello, Yuri. Man, I need you, I need you to introduce me every time I uh, go into a room somewhere. That's great. Thank you. Just uh, tell me, send me a message. I'll be there for you. <laughs> okay. I saw a photo where you were with Chris and Michelle. So... For how many people you've been a marriage efficient? That was my my brother and now sister-in-law. And so they're the that's the only wedding that I've officiated. It was it was originally set to be in, in fall 2020, um, you know, for a, like a, a proper wedding. And then they decided to do like it would just be an elopement essentially like it was literally just the two of them me and a photographer uh and so we did that in uh fall of 2020 in the rocky mountains and then in the fall of 2021 they did like a renewal um with actually and getting to invite family and all that kind of stuff so yeah so i am a i am a certified um <laughs> wedding efficient a certified ministry minister at one of the ministries that you can just get that certification online that was a lot of fun How, how, how you decided to do it? Why you? Um, I, I mean, they asked me, which is very, like, I'm very honored that they asked me to do that. I think, I think they asked me because they knew that I would like, um, well, I think they probably asked me out of, out of love. We have a great relationship. I have a very close relationship with my younger brother. Um, and then they probably also knew that like, I would put in the work to, to make it serious yet also fun and have a good time. And so I think we, we struck the right balance there. It was good. Cool. So let's start from the beginning. Tell me about your parents. Who are they? Yeah. So my, my mom is the hardest working person I ever met in my life. Um, she, I've, 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 I've been in search of a harder working person and I've yet to find one. Um, she spent her entire career in newspapers she, she did get her master's degree in education but could never afford in the u.s you have to go like do um teaching you have to basically go do unpaid teaching in public schools for like some x number of months and there was never a period that she could do that um so she spent her entire career in the newspaper starting first as a journalist and then as an editor um my dad um was also in the newspaper business that's where they met when he was a sports journalist and then ended up, um, you know, running a circulation department. So they're both um, curious and, uh, and fact finders and uh, synthesizers and, and, and curators of information, right? Um, and they're both, you know, loving parents to three kids. And we grew up in a very, you know, reasonably small town in, in central Pennsylvania, so. Do you know how they met? So they were working together, but exactly how they met? What was the point when this sparkle, yeah, started? That's a good question. I don't know the exact, I know that they were working together. I know that my mom 
caught my dad's eye in the newsroom and I can only imagine what, you know, in the 80s that was like working in, you know, a, a newsroom environment like that. And I guess at some point he he had the courage to ask her out and as they say the rest is history. But... Yeah, and that's the story how the story goes. And um can you please tell an example of their curiosity? Why do you call them curious people? Yeah, I think I mean I I was I was more relating it just based on their profession, right? They like their profession requires curiosity and going out and trying to to find things and help people understand things. I'm trying to think of a good example of of their curiosity. I think I don't know this is this is good. It's really making me reflect because I don't have one one, you know, standard typical answer. I think um you know maybe one example would be my mom in the uh in the summer times in particular would run like kind of a a daycare in our you know area for kids and that kind of stuff and I think she always promoted kind of the idea of curiosity and just like trying to expose us to different music and you know different books and you know going outside and playing and you know that kind of stuff and just trying to open our minds so yeah there's probably a bunch of examples that, that I need to reflect on more <laughs> what curiosity means to you i think curiosity is um f- feeding this hunger to know more and know more about things that you don't know about and a genuine interest in chasing that down like you could meet someone out at a bar who's like oh like i manufacture light bulbs and there are some people who would think oh god let me get out of this conversation as quickly as possible for me as a curious person i'm like oh my goodness this is the best night ever like how are light bulbs made what does that mean like what goes into it so that's filament okay so that's filament so what about this okay and then what type of glass oh okay right like and just getting to dive in deep on something that you only have a narrow set of understanding around i find to be enormously um satisfying like curiosity is this hunger that that you that but that wants to get fed in my mind wow it's like it, it feels like i i would really love to talk about with you about some deeper stuff so i i can definitely learn a lot of from you so wow thank you thank you for the answer and well i think curiosity by, by nature maybe is this this appreciation that we can all learn a lot from everybody we can all learn a lot about anything there's myriad things that people know so much more about than any of us individually can ever know and so just trying to find that and pull on that thread and kind of oh okay that's go cool. oh really and then you get to have these kind of related worlds right and to me the connection then between curiosity and creativity is curiosity is about exploring all those different things planting all those different seeds in your brain and the result of that is creativity because when you're trying to solve a problem you're getting to draw from so many different kinds of things right how does it connect to openness whether people are always open to talk about their ideas yeah yeah i think openness is probably 
cr a critical ingredient to get your curiosity fed. So whether someone is open to that or not will be, you know, <laughs> evident of, you know, are you, are you getting kind of one word answers? Or are you able to, to dive in? And I think, you know, there are a lot of things that depend on that, like context and what mood you're in and kind of the level of trust and your environment and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think there are probably situations when all of us are open, but yeah, some people maybe have a disposition to be more open or less open than others. I don't know. What do you think uh, is the cause of people's openness, except their mood and so on? Like, is it uh, some kind of mindset to be open? So, yeah, just in general. Yeah, I never thought about that before. I don't know. My, my hunch would say that probably a good amount of it has to do with experience. Like, I, I wonder, one, the degree to which we're conditioned to be open. So if you do have, you know, an environment that is curious and asking questions and kind of being open, that probably influences it. I think, two, would be if you've ever been burned because of your openness before. <laughs> and so, you know, being vulnerable or sharing information and having that you know, weaponized against you or used in a way like might make you close up and kind of be more guarded and kind of less trusting, right? Um, yeah, and then probably, you know, getting to fully see the, you know, fruit of being open. If you've, if you've had the experience of, yes, be because I have this approach, these kind of serendipitous things have happened. And so it's worth doing this if, if those things haven't occurred in your life that may influence kind of the level of openness you have as well. I don't know. I mean, how do, how do you think about that? Uh, it was just my another question. Let me ask you another question and then okay, I will okay. answer this. So another question was like, have you been hurt because of your openness and vulnerability? I don't think so. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I have been. We've all been, you know, like be hurt with a lowercase h or whatever versus a like a you know hurt hurt i don't I, i can't think of a specific instance where there's been you know significant harm because of that but but i can imagine that you know for some people there there have been from my perspective as uh, a question you asked me from my perspective is openness and curiosity connected super a lot and the main problem is exact exactly a fear of being hurt and if you take everything personally it's super hard to be open but if you can understand that it's not about you it's maybe about the person or about the weather or about circumstances or even if it's about you it's not it's just something you can fix you can work over so it's okay but If you're afraid of being hurt, afraid of being vulnerable, I believe there is no openness at all. So that's kind of my <laughs> thoughts. But we are not talking about me today. <laughs> I, I would love to be a guest on your uh, podcast, let's say. <laughs> And let's continue to your brothers. You told that you... Sounds good. Have... Maybe what we should do is maybe sometime I can be a guest host on your podcast and interview you. Uh, It would so... be amazing. It would be awesome. So uh, let's go to your brothers. You have that you have a youngest one and uh, who is the oldest? 
Yep, so I have two brothers. My older brother, Andy, is a photographer um, who right now is mostly focused on like, um, you know, styling and, and photography of, of like for, for products, for, you know, e-commerce websites and that kind of stuff. My younger brother is a consultant for Deloitte. Um, and yeah, you know, we, we grew up in an environment of playing with each other, fighting with each other, you know, getting mad about the result of a video game or whatever. <laughs> right. But we have a, a good kinmanship and camaraderie between us. What is the age difference between you? My older brother is four years older than me. My younger brother is three years younger than me. So it's practically the same. And, uh, You told that you fight a lot about video games. So what video game do you remember you fought too much? I remember playing like sports game, like on the Sega Genesis playing like, I don't know, like NHL 95 or playing, I think the baseball game we had was Hardball 3. And so you're playing, um, you know, you're playing versus each other inherently, right? And so the controller sticks and this thing happens and you fight about the fact that they shouldn't have scored that run or scored that goal or do this, or you, you know, or you push, you know, you push them and that caused an outcome in the game or that kind of thing. So I think it's the general kind of, you know, loving fighting that, uh, that brothers tend to do. Have you ever broken a controller? I've broken a controller. I don't think like, I mean, we've had controllers that have broken over time because they've been pushed so hard and that kind of stuff. But I don't think broken a controller, like smashed it or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay. Um, and what kind of uh, troubles did you get into with your brothers? Troubles? Yeah. Mm. Three boys. You, def you definitely had some troubles. <laughs> Yeah, and I think most of those will probably leave out of the podcast, but I would say, you know, <laughs> generally speaking, um, you know, we would have a good time getting to explore, uh, you know, learn with each other, all that kind of stuff. My, my older brother was in a band, and so we got to, um, you know, go see his shows and that kind of stuff. He toured around the country for a while, which is really cool. Um, and so that was fun as an experience together. And then my younger brother and I, my younger brother um, ended up having a lot of similar interests to me. So he would, he would get involved in similar activities at school and that kind of stuff. So we would, you know, spend a lot of time together and those kinds of things. And, uh, but I would say on the whole, we were, you know, well behaved. We, we only got into the right amount of trouble. So <laughs> what kind of elder brother are you? Hmm. I mean, it's a, it's a question that should be directed to my younger brother. But from your think, perspective. <laughs> from my perspective, I'm great. Uh, but, <laughs> I mean, the, the, I mean the, the evidence of that would be like, you know, what you opened with, right, of, you know, getting to a, a officiate his wedding. But I think, I think as an older brother, like one of my jobs is to try to like hold a, hold kind of a bar for, him and and you know sometimes that can be frustrating but i think on the whole that's appreciated so as much as possible i try to be um someone who can be supportive and help him to you know to have m more success than i can have so 
You are all grown up now, so how do you still communicate with each other like on daily, weekly, monthly basis? Yeah, so um, actually my older brother, I'm going to be at his house on Sunday. I'm going to be traveling in and bringing some steaks. My bro Both of my brothers have birthdays in July. We're recording this in July. So my younger brother's birthday is July 10th. My older brother's birthday is July 16th. Actually, sorry, that's reversed, but July 10th and July 16th. Um, and so, uh, you know, like on big occasions like that, we, you know, make it a point to get to see each other. And then I think now as kind of parents are getting older, we also spend time communicating, kind of talking about care and support for them and that kind of stuff. So that tends to be a, you know, an excuse to spend time catching up. But, um, yeah, typically like text thread communications and then trying to make it a point at, you know, three or four times a year to like, let's make sure we're in the same city and we're sitting down and having a few beers and talking about life and all that good stuff. What is your favorite beer? Hmm. I mean, as a, as a Pennsylvania, as a Pennsylvania product, I feel the, I feel called to say Yingling, which is America's oldest brewery. Um, and, uh, and it's just a good kind of standard kind of classic beer. So it's, um, you know, it's very basic, but it's, you know, it's, it gets the job done. Have you ever tried, um, some kind of, you, you've been traveling a lot. Have you ever tried some better beer somewhere outside the U S yeah, I mean, I think to me, so much of beer is contextual because beer tend like connotes kind of by default, like conversation and progressively deeper conversation, progressively <laughs> sillier conversation, maybe progressively kind of more fun, depending on how much you have. And so like, um, to me, beer is less about the taste than it is about the company um, or, you know, the experience. Like I've certainly been in situations where like, you know, randomly a couple years ago, before COVID, before all the travel stuff got, you know, knocked out, mm -hmm. um, you know, I was traveling a ton and I ended up um, stranded in Singapore for 12 hours. I wasn't planning on having this long layover in Singapore. And I texted one of my friends to just say, are, are you, do you happen to be in Singapore right now? He's like, yeah, actually I'm, I'm here too. I'm like, perfect. And so we go out and we go to one of those places where you have like a beer tower and you just sit down and you're catching up and talking about, Indonesian politics and whatever, you know, whatever you can like talk about. And those are the best kind of days. It's just this random, unexpected thing. And so, yeah, I don't know about like a specific kind of beer and, and taste, but more the experience of beer is that to me. Uh, it, it's a great idea. I guess we should have some couple of beer with uh, other speakers in the future. So to make this experience even even greater and uh do you talk about politics a lot i think in the right context yes like i think there are, it's not something that i'm gonna naturally bring up in a situation where clearly that can shift what's happening but especially when i'm traveling internationally and especially when you're sitting down and you know and it's getting dark out and you're kind of like all right like you know, I want to ask about, yeah, so what's going on here? What's going on with this? And like, I, I try to be, you know, just as informed enough about what's going on that it's like, um, you know, 
in a couple of weeks, I'm, I'm going on vacation in, in Mexico and we're meeting up with some friends. And like, I definitely know enough to be like, yeah, so, you know, so what are your thoughts on AMLO and then like, you know, what's happening here? And like, yeah, you know, this idea that he's this progressive leftist and yet at the same time, it's this kind of authoritarian nature and he just talks all morning and kind of what's happening there and this, you know, like corruption and let's, you know, and so being able to just dive into those and get, get different perspectives on stuff, I find to be one of the ways that my curiosity gets fed, right? And trying to connect those dots. There's actually this really awesome show on Amazon Prime called Pan y Circo, which is bread and circus. Mm -hmm. And what it is, it's the actor, Diego Luna. He sits down with a group of like five or six experts on a topic over dinner. And just while they're eating and drinking, they're talking about, you know, voting rights or women's rights or colonialism and imperialism or whatever, but it'll be like a, a nonprofit activist and a former president of a country and a journalist and like just a really cool group of people. Um, and to me, one of my favorite things assembling a cool group of people and talking is like, naturally you want to get to those kinds of things and just te tease it out and expand your mind a little bit. Are they talking about politics or in general? politics is part like how can how could politics not be part of those conversations right so they're not talking about politics simply as x's and o's and this party is bad you know the way politics gets talked about so frequently in the u.s is it's just sports team debates right which sports team did you pick and this one's good on everything and this one's bad on everything right politics by nature is not so simplistic it's not so binary it's not you know Um, and so with filter bubbles and social media and all that stuff, it's easy for us to end up in this kind of sports team, you know, type conversations around politics. Yeah. But to me, politics is is diving deep into something and trying to really understand it and being open to the nuance of it and being open to having your mind stretched um, as you as you think about it. And sometimes um, stating things that you don't think just to get to see reactions and to hear being willing to take you know, different points of view so that you can, um, you know, stretch your mind is, is, is the exercise that, that I appreciate as a, as a non-practicing, non-practicing non politician. So <laughs> would you like to practice? <laughs> I, I don't think so. I think, uh, I don't know. I think maybe as, as community builders, I think probably one of the reasons that we get into this is this kind of like call to serve, right? This idea that that we can serve a community of people who have similar interests and needs and desires and that kind of stuff. And so in some ways it's maybe a more pure form of, of practicing politics. that's not caught up in, in um, all these other systems because we get to create our own systems instead of trying to operate within one. Um, but yeah, it feels like, it feels like getting into the world of politics with a capital P is, is a losing proposition for most people who choose to do it. So Yeah. Let's jump a little deeper about yourself. So from what age do you remember yourself? I think the very first memory I have is my, we, we, we rarely traveled or kind of went anywhere growing up, which I think is something that fed my desire to travel in my twenties. Um, but my, my dad as a big baseball fan, um loved in the fall driving up to cooperstown new york which is where the baseball hall of fame is and in upstate new york in the fall 
you know, all of the trees, the oranges and the yellows and the reds and all those, all the colors of the trees and the mountains are, are really beautiful. And so he loved, you know, trying to get us up there for a weekend. And I think my very first memory is a, is a weekend when I probably, I could have only been like three years old and I don't have a strong memory of it, but I have a memory of like the, the place that we were staying and kind of like being, being there. Um, and I think it would have been sometime just shortly after my younger brother was, was born. And I remember there being like a shelf with like baby formula on it. And so I have this, like this little halo of a memory, this little window of a memory, not a specific moment per se, but just like being there. Um, and yeah, I, I, so I think that's my first memory. That's what, that's what I've told myself. My first memory is <laughs> What is the clear moment that you remember right now from your childhood? Yeah. Um, I don't know, all kinds of memories. One, one is, I, I remember that, uh, I don't know when this was, maybe I would have been eight or nine years old. The, um, I think the, the, the Special Olympics does these tours around the country kind of like I think it's in, in tandem with when the Olympics happened so maybe this was when the 96 Olympics were in Atlanta there was this kind of special Olympics tour happening and I just remember these big they, they brought in these big ships into um into the, the harbor in in Connecticut and I remember going and getting to see these big ships I think it was the first time I was ever on a boat um And I love big things. I love seeing big buildings. I love getting to the top of big mountains, uh, anywhere that you can see a big view. Uh, that's why I like dinosaurs. I'm impressed by like scale and bigness. And I think it's really cool. And so I remember like getting onto this big ship was this just like really cool moment. Yeah, big stuff. And how did you feel when you just entered this ship so do you remember like what was your like wow moment or what it was like yeah i think i think the reason it sticks in my mind is probably just that feeling of awe i think like a lot of life is chasing those moments of awe you know people use the word awesome a lot but uh, awesome in by its technical definition is something that happens quite infrequently of actually like that, that feeling of awe. But to me, there's nothing better than walking into a space or being in this moment or kind of something happening that you really are awe struck. And I think that was this one where like walking onto this big thing and it's, it's wobbly underneath you. You don't feel earth kind of the same way. And it's this kind of wooden ship and there's this big man, like it's just probably that, that awe feeling and, and, uh, and how cool that is. What kind of student you were at the school? Yeah, ge generally speaking, in in school, you know, throughout a lot of school, I was I was much more straight laced than I kind of ended up being after school. Of the kind of the desire to you know feed my curiosity and explore different things, and you know the Mongol rally and that kind of stuff. In school, I was I was a little bit more of a rule follower and kind of get good grades, do the job, study, make stuff happen. And I think that was probably a, a product of my, you know, parents that instilled kind of very clearly, like, 
a good education is the key to anything. And so make sure to take that seriously. So throughout a lot of school, I was, you know, definitely focused enough on saying like, cool, make sure that you get good grades and do this stuff. And, and a lot of it, you know, wasn't, wasn't super difficult for me. Like I, I um, you know, I enjoy that, that kind of stuff. I think the things that are difficult are like the parts of school that are just like memorization, you know, memorize these dates, regurgitate this stuff. Um, but I think the, the parts of school that I almost wish I took more seriously or would be interested in kind of going back and diving into are things that are conceptual, theoretical, conversational, right? Like getting to talk, you know, read this book and like, what do you think this means? And like, at the time, there was probably times that I would roll my eyes at that and like not be super interested in it. But now I'd probably be like super into it, right? So. What was the moment when you started breaking rules? Mm. I mean, I think we all break rules or most, most of us, you know, tend to break break rules. I think, I think when I was in, when I was in college at Penn State and even, even I ended up, you know, graduating high school, deciding, okay, I'm going to go to Penn State to study in this information sciences program. Cause you know, in high school, I was a kind of geek who built our, you know, I built our computer at home and I liked that kind of stuff. I thought that would be fun. Um, and, and I could see that that could set me up for, you know, some kind of meaningful career, but I started, I don't know where I first heard about it. Um, but I found this program at school called humanitarian engineering and social entrepreneurship, which is very much this focus on like design for the developing world. And they were talking about, you know, did you know one person dies every 27 seconds um, from smoke inhalation? Because in most places in the world, people will burn whatever is available, whatever trash is available to them to be able to cook some food. And so, you know, we're focused on, you know, how might we design a solid fuel stove that either has more complete combustion or channel smoke differently, you know, in, in an effort to combat that problem. And on like getting to spend some time working on challenges like that, I think opened my mind that like, yeah, the world is a lot less black and white and oriented to rules. Rules are just systems other people created for their time and their instances. And we're focused on a different set of problems and a different set of times and a different set of instances. And so those rules by design can't be followed. Like it would be silly to follow them. It would be so limiting um, to, to do that. And so I think it was when I started getting involved in more of those like design thinking type experiences, getting to focus on real challenges, getting to stretch my brain to think about answers that aren't answers on a test of what year is this, that there's only one right answer, but problems for which there is not one right answer and getting to really think about that. And I think once, once my life's work became solving problems that don't have one right answer, well, by design, you have to break a bunch of rules in pursuit of that. What was your dream job back then? Yeah, I th the first dream job I can remember as a young kid is wanting to be a meteorologist, wanting to be a weatherman, because um, I thought that that was cool. I used to sit and watch the like local news every day and watch the weather, and I just thought that was fascinating. I think what I thought was fascinating about it was the idea of um, 
predicting the future. Like there was, a, there was also this show that I really liked when I was a little kid called Early Edition. And it was about this guy who got tomorrow's newspaper today. And then he went and tried to save people, like to try to make it so that that bad news wouldn't happen. And kind of the idea of predicting the future, shaping the future, um, influencing the future, I thought was really interesting. Um, and now having spent time, you know, studying kind of how people talk about futures and the idea of multiple futures and what they can look like and this kind of stuff. I mean, I still, I, I like that. And I think um, getting to influence that through behaviors and decision-making and culture and that kind of stuff is, is more interesting to me than, than predicting scientific models. Though I have tremendous respect for that. And my best friend, as it turns out, my best friend who has the same birthday as me, um, um. who I met in college, is a meteorologist. <laughs> wow! Just, just wow! You know, what 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 was? Uh, do you remember this feeling when you met your best future best friend, and when you discovered that he has the birthday at the same date as you have? So we were both trying out for the marching band at Penn State. So you um, at at. Um, At Penn State, you get there like a week early before other students to get to try out to be part of the marching band. And the marching band is, you know, this 310-member um, group that goes out and performs for 110,000 people every week. So you go out into the stadium. It's, this, it's like one of the, you know, largest venues of any kind in the world. Um, and, and going out in front of 110,000 people that are all screaming and wearing white and all this kind of stuff. Like it's pretty, you know, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it, right? It's pretty cool. And so, uh, of course, I didn't really know any of that when I was trying out. When I was trying out, it was just like, oh, I was in band in high school. Like, I'll try out for this. This would be cool. Um, but it's but it's it's reasonably competitive. Um, and so, you know, you start to make friends with some of the other people trying out. And yeah, and this guy, Tim, was also a trumpet player and, and uh, I don't know. I think o over time is when we realized, I think the birthday thing might've come much later that we realized that um, I think asking, you know, Oh, what are you studying? What are you studying? Oh, meteorology. Oh, that's cool. And that probably <laughs> led to some conversation. Right. Um, but yeah, I think we, we hit it off. We liked rival baseball teams. So we had kind of that, you know, going and uh, yeah, it's, it's been fun. We've gotten to travel and we like, when we travel going and finding the best Italian food anywhere and just going and sitting down and eating Italian food and talking about whatever. It's fun. Do you play trumpet right now? Like not right now, but in, you know. Occasionally I still get the chance to play. It's, it's, it's rare now that I get to play when I was, um, you know, throughout school all the time. And then after I finished school, less so, When I lived in Switzerland for a couple of years, I was playing in this like Fastnacht band. And so you go out and dress up and just kind of do whatever. And then now that I live at the US-Mexico border, I have this dream of like gringo mariachi and getting to play kind of mariachi stuff, but it's more of a dream than an executed reality at this point. So every now and then, but pretty rarely. Why did you name your dog? I don't know if I'm correct. Choconosle? Choconosle? Yeah, X-O-C-O-N-O-S-T-L-E. Yeah. Um, actually, it was from an episode of the show Top Chef. 
So um, I've gotten reasonably into Top Chef lately, not because I'm a gourmet cook or I could even imagine cooking with those ingredients or that I even understand what they're talking about when they're saying, I've made this blah, 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 blah. They, like, they pick out totally new words that no one's ever heard of before when they name their dishes. Um, but in one of the episodes, they had to cook with this like prickly pear cactus um, that is called choconosle. And I thought like, that's such a cool word. Um, if I ever get a dog, I'm going to name the dog that. And like for two or three years, it stayed lodged in the back of my brain enough that like, yes, that's happening. And uh, when you want your dog to come to you, do you name the whole name or is like a shorter name? Usually just Choco. Yeah, day to day, it's more Choco, which is, you know, the, the first four letters. So, but if he's really in trouble, he gets the full, the full name. <laughs> so like people, so like <laughs> Do you like posing for pictures? Mm, not so much, to be honest. I like taking, I mean, I like taking pictures if it's a moment worthy of capture, though, to, though the picture never captures the moment. <laughs> uh, like you go to the Grand Canyon and it's this, you know, it's one of those awestruck moments and you look at a picture and it's like, this is, it doesn't look like anything. Um, so I, I, I try to be more in the moment And yeah, usually if I'm going to take a picture, I just take a picture of the space with not like me in it because I don't know, I'm just, I'm not as big into like pictures of me. I noticed in your Facebook a great thing I will ask you about. So some people give free hugs and you gave free problem solving. What was it about and how did you decide to do it? Yeah, so I think this was probably 2013. We were at South by Southwest, the um, you know music interactive film festival in Austin, Texas. And South by, I think the best way I've ever heard South by described is the week that it happens. It's the FOMO capital of the world, right? The fear of missing out capital of the world, where it's just um, there's eight billion different things happening, and you're trying to pick. Well, what's happening here? What's happening here? And um, mm -hmm. And so we're there and I'm there with a, a really good friend of mine, Matt. Um, and we uh, we also both really like post-it notes and saw 3M was there and they were giving out these big post-it notes. So we took a bunch of them and we were deciding like, we have to do a project with these post-it notes. And we just decided to like, we're, you know, we're sitting down at a bar, um, you know, having a couple beers, just talking about what we're gonna do and just decide to write on one of them, free problem solving, hashtag zero problems. We put this big post-it note hanging out the window so people from the street can see it. And we just start kind of accosting strangers of like, hey, if you have any problems in, you know, business, life, horseback riding, welding, like you name it, we'll solve all of your problems. Um, and at first it started out not super serious. People are like, does my, does my shirt fit? And how would you tuck it in? Or like, you know, I'm, I'm looking for, for this. Um, but then slowly, like a line started to form. People are like, oh, this is kind of cool. It was like a thing, you know? <laughs> and people are like, I need this kind of light, actually like, I need this kind of light bulb. And so we tweeted it out and like someone brought him that kind of light bulb. Or there was this woman from Goodwill, which is this chain of like consignment stores in the US, people donate clothes and they resell them. Um, and she's like, how can we grow our brand? And I'm like, You have like 500 stores. How can you not grow your brand? At one store, triple your prices, see what happens. At one store, offer gift wrapping. At one store, have a recycling service. At one store, have a co-working space. At one, and she's like furiously scribbling down, you know, all these notes. It's like, 
uh, she's like, can you help me come up with more ideas? And I'm like, <laughs> I just gave you 10 ideas, like go do those. Right. <laughs> um, but like the whole thing was such a cool experiment in like, to me, there's nothing more fun than like generating ideas and helping to make that happen. Of course, where the rubber meets the road on that stuff is people actually taking action on them, which, which is, <laughs> you know, that, that, that experience I think was the thing that, that led us to decide to write the book and try to study like why, why that is, what that was. I think that's one specific moment with that Goodwill woman when she's like, can you do a workshop for this? It's like, you don't need a workshop for that. Like you, that's not what you need. You need to just go do those, do those things. Uh Um, and, uh, yeah. And then, and then I think we revived, like we, we did a podcast free problem solving for a little while where we recorded some episodes solving problems. And then we did a free problem solving van in Brooklyn that we were driving around solving problems. So yeah, free problem solving is fun. (laughs) Did you have a feedback from somebody you helped solving problems? Yeah, but more like in the moment feedback of just like, just, you know, hey, this was great. This was helpful. Can I join you? Like we had people like who joined the free problem solving, you know, or we had an intern who was, you know, sourcing people in the line, whatever. But like, not like longitudinal feedback of following up with someone a year later. At least not that I can recall off the top of my head of, of someone coming back and actually seeing, you know, a long time later, the results Um, well, actually I'll say like, um, so one thing that was kind of related to free problem solving. So my same friend, Matt, we did something called action camp a few years later, where we did this little summer camp of people who want to take action on stuff. And that one, we had really good, like, um, exposure to helping kind of solve problems and then see what happens, which was a friend of ours, Christy, who lives in Fargo, North Dakota, who, um, who was like happy with her job. It wasn't really anything she wanted to take action on, but like through talking about, Hey, like things that you, you know, think you might want to do. She's like, someday when I retire, I want to open a flower shop. And so through like helping her think about like, well, what actions might you take? Like, you know, maybe go volunteer and support a wedding or do that, like do basic things. Um, she ended up two years later starting her flower shop, Love Always Floral. And I think she now has like three retail locations um, in, in Fargo as a, as a florist. And so like, Seeing things like that is really cool um, where sometimes, yeah, just talking about it and helping solve problems for people kind of helps helps them take something from your head, which is the most dangerous place for an idea to live and kind of get it out into the world. And then you can start working on it. So, How do you prefer to help people solve their problems? By giving advices or by asking questions to take their my, ideas from their minds? Yeah, I think it depends on the context. I think either approach can be valid in different different times. I mean, it's certainly much it's much easier for us to naturally, at least for me, it's much easier for us to like naturally just like come up with ideas and like, hey, here's what's happening. But also like you can only come up with really good ideas if you've asked a bunch of questions first and kind of understood the context. But it depends. Like you can also end up in a place where you just ask a bunch of questions forever and ever, and then you never, you never give them anything that's, that's useful. Like, I know that's something that I know how, you know, how we met through the cultivators community uh, in Slack, like there's this event change-a-thon, right. That's focused on that kind of spirit. And I think one of the things that can end up happening there is, well, people are coming because they want ideas, they want suggestions, 
but people are trying to be kind and like ask a bunch of questions. But in that situation, I'm like, I'm not here to ask questions. Like <laughs> I'm just here to like generate as much as possible that's useful for this person because in this context, that's what they came for. You know, in a longer term context, of course you want deeper insights and understanding. So I think it it totally depends on the situation. Yeah, as you told about Action Camp, uh, tell me more about it. What was it all about? So this this friend Matt Matt Kane, who's the the person in my career who I've worked with, you know, probably the longest. We were like attached at the hip for, for five years, um, working together every day on all kinds of really cool stuff. And um, I think this this was really his dream originally. I think he always had the dream of like having a summer camp, getting to design a, a summer camp, getting to put together like however you want, whatever you want those activities to be, whatever you want that to look like, that kind of thing. And so when he shared this dream with me, like, of course I was immediately on board and wanted to support it and help and kind of make it happen. And so, yeah, we just kind of started with like, all right, like, well, what do you need to do? Well, you need to find a camp. And so I remember we, like, we drove, we drove around looking at camps, we got our car stuck in a ditch in the snow up in the Poconos in Pennsylvania. And then this super kind couple with an SUV pulled us out and then they, and then we were out and they ended up getting stuck in, <laughs> in the same ditch. And we felt so bad. And we sent them this like amazing gift basket and like Christmas cards. I think we still exchange Christmas cards and that kind of stuff. Um, with like such this nice couple, but we ended up, um, you know, getting to see this camp. And it was like, they're like, well, this, this is the one week of the year in between, like when our, when our students, like our summer students aren't are here in our fall or whatever. And so we're like, all right, we'll, we'll take it for that period of time. And then it just became, how do we design this amazing experience for like all the cool people we've met in our lives and just inviting people from the TED community who we knew, people from work who we knew, people from school who we knew, just like people who we thought would really appreciate who brought this like kind of positive energy and like optimistic attitude and a desire to, you know, shape the future and all that kind of stuff. And so we just brought together like 80 remarkable people and then kind of crowdsourced all the programming that's like, all right, so In the mornings, we're going to have opportunities to learn from each other. And so that's going to be everything from learn how to memorize a deck of shuffled cards to how to solve a Rubik's Cube to how to set up an Etsy store to whatever, like things that different people know how to do. You're going to get to learn from each other and do it. Um, then we're going to have time to uh, just relax and kind of enjoy camp and play camp games and use the lake and the ropes course and the pool and just chill out and do whatever. Um And then in the evening, we had time where like you had to bring what's one specific idea you want to take action on. And we're going to make sure that we, you know, build out a time to like leave camp with with that one thing that you want to do. And so, yeah, we just built this like really cool long weekend experience around that. And um, yeah, it was, I mean, it's pretty magical. So. What was the craziest stuff you did there? Well, one of the fun things I remember happening there was a talent show because it's camp. So there has to be a talent show. And so yeah, there's this definitely. one area where people get to kind of do whatever talents that they want. And this is summer of 2015. And so like the song that was sweeping the world that summer was that um, 
Oh, don't you dare look back. Just keep your eyes on me. That like, shut yeah. up and dance. So there was this group of like five of us and we all just wore different crazy costumes and rocked out to that song. And I think I was wearing a big crocodile <laughs> outfit and came out for the guitar solo and, you know, just fun, silly things like that. And tell me who was usually wearing this dinosaur costume? Yeah, so when I had the truck, I invested in a few of those dinosaur costumes and my buddy Christian um, also had one of those dinosaur costumes. And so, yeah, he loved wearing that. We would love going around town, having the Jurassic Park truck chasing the dinosaur down the street <laughs> and that kind of stuff. Or just like going into the convenience store, like kind of, you know, hunting the dinosaur or whatever. So yeah, th those were good times. Tell me more about uh, Jurassic Park truck. Yeah, at some point, you know, some people when they when they go out and have a, have a night and have fun and you know end up in those kind of conversations about politics, whatever. <laughs> um, you know, the next morning it's like, oh no, what have I done? Like, and usually the oh no, what have I done is I either registered a bunch of domain names <laughs> or we made a website like that's like a retirement home name generator, like, like we made a random website or like set up Craigslist alerts um, or Google alerts of things that you don't even remember why. But at some point I set up a Craigslist alert for a Jurassic Park truck. And I think I had it set up for like a few years. And at one point, like one came up and I got the notification and it just hit me at the right time that I'm like, oh, let me see. And it's in, it's in Pittsburgh and I saw the pictures of it. And it's like, you know, this is 500 bucks for this thing. And I'm like, Yeah, like I'm, I'm getting it. Like, and it was, it was a comedy of errors of like all the problems with the car, and I had to put all this work into it, and whatever. But it was totally worth it to just have the Ford Explorer that looks exactly like the one that was, you know, taken on the track throughout, and getting to just drive that around town and like dri driving on the road and everyone waving at you or taking pictures <laughs> of you is like, you know, you feel like a little celebrity for that hour that you're out on the road. Um, or just parking it in a corporate parking lot and people are like, whose car is that? And like, oh, it's mine. Um, <laughs> like, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And uh, how many dinosaurs chased you? <laughs> uh, all, all the dinosaurs, Yuri. They were all, <laughs> they were all looking for us. Why do you passionate about action? Um... Because I think it's I think it's the gap for most people. I think it's the missing thing. Like, um, I know that people, a lot of people are really passionate about wanting to make change and passionate about wanting to make a difference. And people love coming up with ideas. And I think particularly as I started to get older, I was like, you've been talking about this for five years. <laughs> like, what? Why are we having the same conversation about this idea? Like so many people just really struggle with like breaking the inertia of actually like doing it and actually making it happen. And so part of my, you know, insatiable curiosity was trying to well understand, well, why is that? And what, and what is it that we can do that can help support that? Right. And I think that just made me get, you know, become really passionate about the topic of action because I just think it's something that a lot of people need. <laughs> um, and so I feel like, evangelizing around how, how you take action is important. Have you ever struggled by taking action yourself? 
No, I mean, every day, like, um, and we're all our own worst hypocrite about the stuff that we talk about, you know, we're not good at ourselves or we don't take the time or because we're knowledgeable enough, we're also self-aware enough to see here are all of my deficiencies around stuff that I want to be taking action on. So it's, it's a, it's a challenge for everybody. We all have more that more that we want to do than we, we possibly can do. And so it's also about like recognizing that and like, you know, not feeling guilty about it or beating yourself up about it, but also around like, cool. Well, like you say you want to make this happen. So like, what's going on? Like what's happening here? And like, it's important to be making small progress on things. And I mean, I was just having this conversation with somebody yesterday. It's like, you know, what happens to big, scary things when you put them off? Like they just become bigger and scarier, right? <laughs> like it's it's not helpful to keep this big thing out there. What's helpful is like breaking it down into small steps and getting started and getting a bad first draft out or doing something that's making some progress. And I think like that's the thing that I get most passionate about is when you start to see people kind of recognize how they can start making progress because I don't know, a lot of people, their, their default is like, I'm just going to think about this forever and I'm going to get stressed about it and overwhelmed and I'm going to break down. And, and it's like, just like do something, like <laughs> do, do something to, to start. And I know it's, it sounds simple and, and maybe patronizing to some people and that's not my intention. And so you have to meet people where they're at and try to get them there. But like, yeah, I really think it's, it's a big, it's a big thing. It just reminded me of Britney Spears song. Why don't you do something? <laughs> so, <laughs> what did you feel while staying on Africa's highest point, Uru Peak of Mount Kilimanjaro? Oh, hunger, <laughs> relief. Uh, yeah, that was a lot of fun. Um, with a really good group of friends, we got to hike Kilimanjaro in, I think, 2017. And it was with my group of, like, TEDx organizer friends and the cool the, the most amazing part about that group is it's such a diverse international group so most of us met in Doha in 2012 they invested in bringing together like 200 TEDx organizers from over 80 countries um, and it felt like this kind of almost like UN summit or this kind of thing where it's this totally global group um, and so we have this, this little crew of 12 of us hiking Kilimanjaro where there's, you know, an American, um, a Dutch guy, a, a Tunisian, um, like uh, a Canadian, a Brazilian, like it's this totally international group. And people are like, who, who are you? And so we always have stories of like, oh, you ever heard of Mars One? Like we're training to go to, we're training to go to Mars and we're getting like, oh my God, thank, thank you for your service. <laughs> like, like people, People have a hard time wrapping their head around like, who is this international group of people that are just <laughs> laughing so loudly and like screaming at each other these stories? Like that's you know, so that's like the vibe. And um and it was and it was awesome to to get up there to to make it up. I mean, it's a beautiful hike. You have we had tremendous support from uh, you know, when you hike Kilimanjaro, if your group is eight. Well, your group is actually like 30 because you have 22 people who are there setting up your camp and carrying your stuff and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And so it's a massive support system. And uh, yeah, it was amazing. My, my buddy, and, and what's cool is like the people in that group are all such amazing people. So my buddy, Nate, who was in that group, uh, who's also the one I did the Mongo rally with, yeah. he, he runs the World Central Kitchen. So he's actually been in Ukraine 
for the last like five months, um, just like working on food supply chain and getting getting food out there. Um, and so working with Jose Andres on that stuff. So anytime that there's a crisis in the world, they just go feed people. And now he's in this like Emmy nominated documentary and getting like accommodations from the White House and this kind of stuff. I'm like, Nate, like really him? But, uh, <laughs> but it's cool. It's cool to see that kind of stuff happen, right? So yeah, like our, our, um, our group is all, it's all, it's a great group. You mentioned Mongol Rally. It's a 20,000 kilometers adventure from the UK to Mongolia, 23 countries. Tell me why Fiat Panda? Hmm. Well, the Mongol Rally by design is all the things you mentioned and you have to do all of that in a car that is deliberately not up to the task. So you have to do it in a car that has a less than one liter engine um, that, that is like old and beat up because it makes it more of a and more more fun, more unlikely to succeed. I think one third of teams that start finish maybe um, because, you know, there's a lot of variables along the way. Uh, but yeah, the, the Fiat Panda was one we I think we found it on eBay and we went out. We were in Germany for for a meeting um, and went out and found it in the meeting. And then we, we drove it up to London to, for the starting point and got it all fixed up and got it ready. And it was a great little car. I miss that little car. Um, <laughs> I love that little Fiat Panda. What is the story behind of this rally? Why did you decide to do it? Um, the way my brain works, I don't know how I could hear about it and not want to do it. <laughs> like... <laughs> It's hard for me to imagine a conversation where someone's like, you ever heard of this rally? You drive in a beat up car from London to Mongolia and you get to experience all these places and do all this stuff and you can raise money for charity. Like, like I, I couldn't imagine saying like, oh, cool. Like, what's the weather today? You know, like, it's like, wait, what? <laughs> like, what? Okay, what, what year are we doing this? Okay, what do we need to do to get ready? Okay, cool. Like, we're making it happen. Um, and, and of course, the, the best part about it and how, how like community was such a big part of it, too, because we built it all around getting to visit TEDx organizers. You know, in those days, in the early days of TEDx is a movement and a community that is like unrivaled and unparalleled. And what TEDx has become is kind of like, you know, it's just it's just different now, 14 years later. And a lot of the original people have moved on and, you know, it's become corporatized and all this kind of stuff just in a different way. But in, the, in those days in particular, this was just like the people in a community who care deeply about advancing ideas from their community, who, who, who want to see interesting things that are happening in their local community burst onto a global stage. And so you have these individual community organizers and then, and then all of them are part of their, this own community of community organizers, that kind of meta thing of we're all people who know our city, our town, our place like super well, and we care about advancing people from our place. And, and now we're getting together and do things together. Like there was, there was really nothing like it. And so imagine that entire journey, every city we stop in from Vilnius to, you know, to Kiev to, um, to Almaty or, or wherever along the way, um, you, you know, you drive all day and then you arrive for dinner at whatever address you're told to show up at. And then you sit down with 12 people who are the most remarkable people from that city or among the most remarkable people from that city. They're all 
entrepreneurs or people working on this nonprofit or artists or people doing this cool thing. And you just end up in this like amazing conversation about politics and the world and what's happening. And then you go sleep on a couch somewhere and then you wake up and drive nine hours and do the same thing again the next night. Um, and like that was the that was the trip because those those TEDx organizers were kind of the pillars, those anchor points of getting to meet and do that kind of stuff. And so, I mean, there's nothing there's nothing like it. Like it was amazing. Who is the person you remember the most of this trip? Mm, that's a really good question. I mean, other than Nate, and obviously spending a lot of time, you know, sitting like two inches away from Nate in a tiny car, um, <laughs> which was which was great. I think person I remember most. Oh, my my brain is flashing through so many good candidates. <laughs> It's hard um, to choose. I mean, maybe one. Maybe it's a little bit of a cop out answer. I'll give kind of a a stand in answer for like. The, the person I remember most is like the border guard. And like, I'll use border guard as a stand-in for like every border guard along the way, um, which like is generally speaking a like low paid, reasonably miserable person. At many countries, they want to bribe. At many countries, they want to, um, let's take everything out of the car here and talk about this here and do this and kind of get this out and like, Um, like border guards shaped so much of that, you know, so, so much of that experience of, you know, 23 countries over the course of six weeks is just how many borders we had to cross and what that experience was like. Actually, I remember go going into Ukraine. Now, now granted, this is, the, this is the summer of 2014. So this is just post Poroshenko. And uh, I had been in Kiev in 2013 and the kind of beautiful flowers and everything downtown and then being there in 2014 and it's burned tires and, and piles and pianos and just like it's a totally different um scene and of course the malaysian airliner getting shot down which got shot down while while we were there and so it's a it's a it was a um you know a heavy a heavy time but so we're coming into ukraine and we actually we spent a night sitting at that border i think we we got there at like 8 p.m And just waiting until they finally got around to us and kind of helping us in must have been like 10 a.m. So I think we spent 14 hours just like sleeping in the car at that border, getting in. And then we couldn't get out the border that we wanted to because of um, because of the, of the attack and what was happening in, in Crimea and everything. And so we had to actually go around and kind of back through uh, into into Moldova and then we you know we had this experience in Transnistria and this the, I mean the whole region is obviously like a, it's it, it's fascinating and I, I know so little compared to getting to talk to you who knows so much about everything happening but um yeah like the the experience at these borders I mean even the, that Transnistria border which is a fake border but they check your passport <laughs> and they put a little yeah. stamp in and it's like what the hell is this this is not this is not real but like to them it is right and you go into Tiraspol and it's a, it's their own currency and their own world and um but yeah the, the kind of border experiences are the things that stand out the most why did this border people stop you um well it's their job i mean so they have like the, <laughs> but you know they're required to you're, you're driving through a checkpoint like they have to check your passport and check kind of whatever and kind of let you in but the you know there's also a lot of shenanigans that go into that that aren't their job um so 
and they're recognizing like what is this crazy Fiat Panda with these two Americans in it? And it has stickers all over it and all this crazy stuff. Like, I think their um, awareness of the situation is like, okay, these are a couple people with like, you know, a decent amount of privilege and stuff that we can, we could, we could stand to gain from in some way. And, and so, you know, I, I, I can understand the motivations and the, the context that surrounds it. Yeah. Uh, I saw in the video of your rally that you met cops in Kazakhstan and they wanted your sunglasses. Tell <laughs> me this story. Yeah, a lot of a lot in a lot of places and a lot of these kind of former CIS countries, um, you know, you get into Kazakhstan and, and uh, Kyrgyzstan and Turkmenistan, Tajikistan, um, like it's it's still pretty underdeveloped in a lot of these places. And so, you know, po police, and I'm using air, qu air quotes when I say police, because like, who, know who knows even, right? Like one, one of my favorite things in that part of the world is like the wooden police car <laughs> that's on the side of the road to try to make you slow down. Because from a distance, you can't tell that it's just like a sign. <laughs> so like, yeah. that's funny. Um, but then there'll be people just standing on the road, like, waving flagging like they don't, they don't have a radar they don't have any like authority but they're just kind of like waving like oh you're going too fast i'm going to pull you over so this is one of those situations of like someone just kind of waving us to to pull over on a road that you can't even go that fast on because there's so many potholes and just driving <laughs> right so it's like you can't even go that fast anyway <laughs> so it's just someone who sees this unique car and they want a conversation and they're lonely and they're bored um and so yeah a number of those times i ended up like sitting in a police car trying to work, work my way through a conversation and then having to give whatever I needed to give to get out of that situation which part of it is like we had a big crate of like neither of us smoked but we had this big crate of cigarettes to give out cigarettes is sometimes yeah. popular sometimes people want sunglasses a <laughs> cologne kind of whatever you can give like but yeah I think in that situation I had to give away my sunglasses which meant squinting for a big part of that drive for the rest of the day have you tasted KFC? Uh, I mean, Kyrgyz fried chicken. <laughs> yes, delicious. The original recipe, Yuri. You should try it. Like thir 13 secret ingredients. Yeah. Uh, where is your love for cars and adventures and car adventures exactly from? Yeah, I think definitely the umbrella love is the love for adventure. Um, and... I don't know. I think I think it's directly linked to the curiosity, right? Like adventure is a great place to feed that insatiable kind of desire for for curiosity and and it's fun. Like I like I don't know. I I guess I've become somewhat of like an adrenaline junkie too. I just want like any experience. I want to try one like skydiving, sure, like bungee jumping, yes. Like we're going to climb it, of course. Like <laughs> can we go in the depths of the ocean? Like I can't wait to go to space. Like I can't like any of those kinds of things, I think they're like, they're new experiences. And I think they help inform how we see the world and how we can shape futures and how we can generate ideas to solve big problems. And, and also like, it's fun and part of life should be fun and, and getting to laugh and smile and all that kind of stuff and, and collect good stories and good people. So I don't know, it's all swirled up in, it's all swirled up in that. I think it's also like, I, I probably grew up in a context in which I wouldn't have even dreamt of those things or understood those things, or I couldn't have pointed out Mongolia on a map or would have known what the word Mongol even meant. 
right? Like I had no frame of reference for any of those things. So as, as I started to gain a better frame of reference and as I, I think really like becoming part of the TEDx community and that group of these kind of global organizers was probably the biggest linchpin that just gave me such a bigger view of, of the world. It's like those videos of a little kid putting on glasses for the first time and getting to see color or getting to see things sharply. Like, I think that felt like the like, oh, like this kind of like, this is what global citizenship means. And, and th this is the like possible surface area of things you can do with your time on earth. And like, yeah, give me more of like doing those kinds of things. Cause like adventure is where it's at. Are you fluent in Espanol? Fluent, no, I would say Uber driver fluent, yes. Like <laughs> having a basic conversation, making the same joke time and time again, yes. Um, yeah, hablo espanol, un poquito. No. I understand what you're asked, but no. <laughs> so, what does helping people mean to you? Hmm. I mean, I think it's more about what it means to them <laughs> because I think well-intentioned, you can also like, oh, I want to help people and it's, it's not helpful. Um, so I think it probably just means um, having, a good, having a good intention, which is like genuinely wanting to help and then making sure that your intention is, is kind of married with what it is that they actually need so like probably a good understanding of of a, of a challenge and then um and then just trying to do something yeah i mean i think we all we all probably have our biases in those situations my bias in those situations is certainly going to be focused more on action and doing something but you know that isn't always the right tool for the job either and so there's been times when we, we, despite my intention to be helpful that i have not been helpful i can definitely recognize that But, um, but I think with, with that intention and kind of with that compass and that desire, like, it's a pretty good way to live life, so. What do you feel when people thank you for your help? When people thank me? Um, yeah, I mean, appreciation, but not much. Like, I, 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 like, I don't have a good relationship with, like, thank you or, or like, Uh, I kind of like brush it off and move quickly and kind of redirect because like I'm more interested in kind of like momentum and kind of continuing and, and that kind of stuff. I probably, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously like it's, it's good to know that like, okay, something is, is well received and it's important and that kind of stuff. And that, that helps feed, okay, how do we want to approach things moving forward? Right. But Yeah, I don't know. I, I feel maybe a little bit embarrassed. <laughs> I have so many questions to ask, and I really wish to have the sky as the limit to our conversation, but time is limit. So let's jump to the rapid fire questions. Are you okay. ready? I'm ready. Receive or give presents? Receive or give friends? Presents. Oh, presents. Give. Ford Explorer or Fiat Panda? Fiat Panda. What are your favorite color and song? Navy blue and mm, 
song. For right now, let's say that Shut Up and Dance With Me song, because now it's in my head. Yeah, I totally get it. <laughs> If you were a superhero, what superpower would you have? Mm, teleportation. Name two people from the community world whose life journeys you'd like to hear about. Mm. Uh, Yuri Lazaruk <laughs> and Lisa Baroka. Cheater, cheater. <laughs> But I understand. Oh, those are two lives that I, I, I desperately want to know more about. Um, I could give you more names. That, uh, Feten Ben Hamza. Um, who is who is in France right now um, doing this community work. She's amazing. Uh, Nate Mook, who's my friend on the, like, there's there's so many people in the community world who I admire. There's, there's a couple new names for you. Thank you very much. Friends, just speaking, I told Lisa a lot that we will definitely have this conversation. So share on the list already. Is there one question that I definitely should have asked you, but didn't? No, I just wish there was more time for me to reverse the questions back uh, to you and hear your answers. But I think this was, like you said at the outset, this, this is not the typical podcast. So this was good. This is fun. Cool. Okay, Steve, thank you very much for your time. And it's so amazing to get to know you closer, to jump into your life experience, because there are so many things that you experienced. And I, don't, I can't even imagine what will be in the future. So I'm really curious to continue our conversation sometime later and to make volume two so that you can, and even volume three, when you will, when we change seats, it yes. will be super interesting. So thank you very much for having this conversation. I can't wait. Thank you. Cool. So see you somewhere in the community world. Bye. Bye.